Hey, Sam, what's up? I guess we're starting a podcast. Are we? I guess we are. That's the plan. All right. I'm excited. Although to pull back the curtain a little bit, we have done a few episodes. We decided to start the podcast. We jumped in with a couple episodes and then thought people might want a little context as to who we are, why we're hopping on the mic, talking, and why they might want to listen. So that's where we are in this episode, trying to get, get our intro out there and say hi to everybody. Yeah, so I think I think we have what two episodes two, three, and four already done, and so we're kind of taking a step back, going back to the basics, like you said, of who we are, what we're doing, why you should be listening to us, <laughs> as if we have any authority here. But uh, spoiler alert: we don't. You don't have to yeah, listen to us, right? But, but we're going to have fun. <laughs> yes. Well, I think that's a good point. I mean, we can talk a little bit about why we're doing this and what our goals are here. I love to have this this forum to just kind of talk about my business businesses what the current state is and just kind of bounce ideas off of each other and i just think that that exercise of knowing that we're going to be talking about these these high level strategy things for the business and even low level technical stuff too it just really helps to take a step back and get out of the day to day a little bit and and really just kind of bounce ideas off of each other so i'm really excited to explore that with you yeah you know it's already been really fun we're we're in a mastermind together and we've been chatting for a couple of years now, I suppose. And we're in totally different industries. We'll, we'll get to this in a bit. But I mean, couldn't be more different. The title of this episode is Sewers, SMS, and SaaS, to give you an idea, right? But all along the way, we found a ton of commonality. I mean, we really are solving a lot of the same problems, running into a lot of the same roadblocks. And it's been great to bounce things off you. And, and so that is my selfish goal. More time to chat with Sam, learn what you're going through and uh, hopefully improve my business in the process. Yeah. It's funny you said that because when you, you actually approached with the idea of, of starting this and it was one of those things, it was funny because when I joined the mastermind and had been wanting to get back into conferences and stuff, one of my goals was to be like, Hey, I've, I've had this desire to start a podcast. It's just a matter of finding a co-host or someone to, to, to do this with. And when you suggested it, I just like, I almost fell out of my chair because I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense. And you're right. The, the businesses could not be different. But then when you really break it down, there's so many similarities, mainly in the stage of development that we're in, the types of problems that we're facing, you know, those common problems that every SaaS business faces when they are moving from idea to actual product getting it out there all the way to like oh i have my first customer (laughs) yeah (laughs) gotta 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 you know deliver on the promises that i've made and so it's it's been really interesting to see how similar they are yet how different they are at the same time yeah and i'm hoping that there's other people out there well we know there's other people out there who are going through the same things and experiencing the same things i'm hoping that uh they listen to us and chime in because then we can kind of build a community even broader than just the two of us chatting here and learn from them and hopefully a bit that they can learn from us. So that's the goal for listeners out there. If nothing else, they'll learn what not to do when we make our mistakes. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. We've made plenty in our past life, past businesses, and I'm sure there's still plenty more to make. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and just to give you a little bit of idea on cadence, one of our goals is to, to have this fairly up to date. You know, we're, we're shooting for two to four episodes per month. So not a guarantee every week, but definitely enough that you should kind of get a sense for what's going on in our day to day world. At least that's the goal to begin with. We'll see how things go. <laughs> yeah, it could devolve, but we're going to make a pretty committed effort to getting the two to four up per week so that we can well, we can stay on top of things. I mean, we always have a lot to talk about, even when you know, a week to 10 days goes goes by. So it's definitely true. I, I think these episodes could be, you know, hours long if we wanted them to be. There's there's just so much to talk about, so much to cover. But I think the million dollar question out there is, who the hell are we? <laughs> why are we doing this? And why should you bother listening to us? And so, again, one of the goals here is to give you a little bit of context try to make a, not to give a whole history of our whole life story, but to give you enough that you understand what we're working on, what we've done in the past and where we are today. All right. Well, why don't we dive in? Why don't we kind of focus uh, on you know, one of our stories in our businesses and then switch back to the other. So if you don't mind, Sam, I'm going to kind of play interviewer here for a few minutes. I've got a couple of questions queued up and let's just see where this goes. So first, first things first. What are you working on right now? What are you building? Well, that's it's a big question, but I'll try to <laughs> try to break it down. So, my current project is something called Text Retailer, and it's a text-based shopping platform. Basically, what it allows merchants uh, to do is send out a text message, like an SMS, featuring a product to their customer list. Um, so the customers receive this text message and they can actually purchase that product simply by replying yes or replying with the quantity of the item that they want to buy. And there's no apps or shopping cart required. The entire purchase process happens 100% within the text message thread. So this is something that we've seen a little bit in the industry, but I'm really excited because it really is a whole new way to purchase products and interact with brands all through text message. Okay. Very interesting. So letting people buy via text message. Text messaging has always scared me a little bit. You know, it's been uh, kind of the, how does this all work? I mean, back, I can remember doing something with SMS and, and fax machines and trying to link those two together. Long story. Do you have some expertise in, in SMS? How are you pulling this together? I've actually been in the text messaging space for, and it's, I guess over five years now, and this is going to be my second product in in the text message space. And you're absolutely right. There's there's a lot of nuance, especially with the phone carriers. There's a lot of changes that are coming this year uh, and more recently to how they're handling text messages, the rules that 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 text messages need to comply with. It's an ever changing industry. It's definitely one that has some platform risk because obviously we have to go through the phone carriers. You can't send a text message if you're not interacting with Verizon and AT&T. So, so you got to play by their rules a little bit. But yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I've been in, in, in this space for, for a while now. My previous company uh, is called Textiful. And the concept behind that was the ability to capture emails through text messages is basically the idea. And so we have a lot of uh, public speakers, musicians, pastors and churches podcasters that if they want, you know, basically anyone that has a captive audience and they could actually have that audience text into a dedicated to their, their number with a keyword. And that starts like an automation asking for their email address, their first name, maybe whatever information that that company wants to capture. And then we can take that email and populate their, their email list. So it's a super simple way to grow 
a company's email address, especially at live events or when you're in front of an audience. And so that's kind of where I started. And that actually came, rolled out of another product that, that was also that, that failed before that, which was some small business rewards company. I won't get into that because that uh, there's not much to say there, but that's definitely been the history of, of my career has been start with an idea, build something small, take what works out of that, build something else or kind of spin off. It's not quite a pivot, but it's taking some of those lessons learned and some of that technology and moving it into another concept. And with Textful, it was kind of getting to the point where there were some changes that, uh, and we'll get into it in future episodes of what the state of that, that company is, but it's kind of been on holding pattern. It's been running itself for the last year or so. And I've realized that I needed to pivot and e-commerce is really big right now. I actually saw this same concept of buying products through text message from a website called text, uh, wine text. And when I first saw that idea, I just fell out of my chair again. <laughs> I was just like, that's so brilliant. It's so easy to buy things through text. You literally get the text message, you reply yes. So I wanted to take that concept. They were only selling wine and it was a, a thing that they built in house. And I wanted to turn that into a platform that any merchant selling any type of product can do for themselves. And that's where the idea for text retailer came along. So Textiful into text retailer seems like a, a pretty neat evolution there. You've got some SMS background and, and expertise that you can apply, but you've kind of talked about Textiful as being not necessarily sunset, right? But you did talk about it in the past tense. It's still going to be clear. Yes, it, it is still going. It's still operating. It's one of those things that I haven't devoted a ton of development time to, mainly because there's some question marks of where the industry is going. And so it's a very wait and see time for Textiful when it comes to the numbers that we're using. There are specialized numbers called short codes that are five or five digits for us. The future of those numbers is not clear when it comes to the industry. And so it's one of those things where it just doesn't really justify putting in a whole bunch of time and energy and effort to something that could potentially go away. We just don't really have a keen insight into where that's going. So was definitely looking for a different direction, whether changing Textful itself or looking for kind of a spin-off project and taking some of my my learnings. I love that. I love the text message space in general because I, I love the idea of being able to reach out and actually interact with customers outside of a website. You know, e-commerce is great, but it requires the customer to come to the website. This provides a way for the merchant to kind of reach out, to have engage with those customers directly and be a little bit more proactive. And so that's something I've always really liked about the space. Yeah, it's definitely a, a very neat space. I've learned a lot just uh, from you about it. So what stage is text retailer currently in? How are you funding it? You know, who's yeah. building it? T tell us a little bit about that. So funding it is, it's, it's completely self-funded. So I'm using the proceeds of Textful. And right now, Textful is like the perfect lifestyle business. You know, customers are coming in. We have fairly steady MRR. And frankly, it's enough to pay the bills and then some. And so I'm not having to rely on text retailer to generate revenue at this point in order to pay the bills. So there really hasn't been a need for me to actually raise funding. Now, that's something I'm thinking about, and we'll get into that uh, later on in future episodes, I'm sure. But right now, it's basically self-funded, and I'm using the money from Textiful to just kind of pay the bills. And so I can focus on text retailer as I build it. 
as far as where that product is, I, I would love to say it's version one complete, <laughs> but there's there's been so many, there's been so much scope creep since I started building it. And it's been, frankly, we're coming up on that year mark of when I started to build it. It's really been that long. I know, wow. I, it, it has. And it's kind of a shell shock to see that domain name renewal come up in a month. And I'm just like, wow, it's actually been that long. But the, the scale of what I envisioned the product being has definitely grown in that same time. As I've been interacting with merchants, as I've been seeing their needs and learning more about the industry, because I knew a lot about the text message space, but when it comes to e-commerce, that's something that I'm less familiar with. So learning more about the needs and the desires of the e-commerce uh, merchants, that's gone a long way to kind of shape the vision of the product down the line. So it's it's pretty complete. We have merchants that are using it today. They're selling products and the, the core concept is there, but there's definitely things that I want to build in. And so until I get those those initial things, I still don't consider it version one complete, but it, it you can make an argument that it definitely is. Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. Version one is never really complete, is it? No, no never, never. Do you have customers using it right now? And, and if so, who are those customers? Not not specifically who are they, but what types of uh, personas do you have? On yeah, absolutely. So so we are going after e-commerce brands uh, predominantly, especially those that have direct consumer type products. That's definitely one category that we're looking at. The other category are they not necessarily online brands, but they definitely could be. Brands that want to offer some sort of like daily deal or weekly deal concept. So this can be used for either promoting items that are new for the company that have just come in the door, you know, get it, get it first through our text message platform. They can be used to like get rid of bad inventory that, you know, you just have a ton of that thing sitting in the corner, run a deal, run a deal on it and try to, you know, clear your books. So we really are, it really can be used for any any type of merchants, but that that e-commerce category is really what we're looking at. But we do have some mom and pop shops that are using it for locally, you know, because they can actually send out text deals for their products. People can come by and pick it up in store. And it's just another way to interact with their customers. Sure. Awesome. What do you see kind of in the future? Where do you want to take this thing and, and how will you measure whether or not it's successful? Oh, that measuring aspect, <laughs> that, that elusive measurement and proof. You know, the, the, the sky's the limit with this concept. I, I really, you know, e-commerce uh, we've seen, especially over the last three years, has, has just exploded and text messaging has also exploded. So it kind of is a union of those two industries. And I really love the potential here because merchants are getting excited about the prospect of a new channel that, that frankly kicks the crap out of email when it comes to conversion rates and attention. Customers are becoming more willing to give their phone information to brands that they love. You know, they're not going to give it to anyone. And so it, we really talk about if a customer is willing to give you their phone number, they are a VIP customer and you really need to treat them as such and not be spamming them and, and not doing anything like that, but really gives you another channel to have a direct communication with that brand and with that customer or between the brand and the customer. And as far as where we see this going, I mean, these transactions that happen in text message, you could also envision them happening on like a WhatsApp or a Facebook messenger. So it, it really could expand. Then you can get into AI that's that's helping to to promote this stuff and, and send it. So there's so many ways that we can go with from a technical standpoint. So I really think this is super early days of just proving out, yes, this is something that customers like and they want to do it. And this is a new way to shop. 
What about I have no idea how we measure side? that, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, one way is on the business side. So do you do you have goals for this business? I mean, are, do you see this as another lifestyle business, uh, venture scale business? It's too early to tell. And frankly, that's how all of my companies have have started is is just kind of a I have an idea. I, I have the luxury because I'm a technical founder. I'm a developer, so I can just go out and build these. So it doesn't cost me any money to stand up an idea and get it going or it doesn't cost much. And so I think that's a that's a real big advantage and a real luxury to just kind of put out a proof of concept and see if it sticks. And so with this company, I, I just put up a landing page with the idea and that actually pu- pulled in some, some interest. I reached out to a lot of my textable customers because some of them were in the e-commerce space and I got some interest from there. So, so I was really able to start out of the gates with a good batch of merchants before I really even set out to build much. And so that was a nice advantage here too. But just being able to go out, build it, proof of concept, talk to customers, see if there's interest. That's been that's been really interesting, and and so I don't really I don't really have set goals at this point. I'm just gonna kind of write it, see where it goes, and and <laughs> just kind of that's that's really where it's at. It's 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 really a a long term experiment that I have the luxury to do because of this other revenue that's coming in from my other company. And so there's definitely a point where I think I'm gonna pour pour the gas on and and really you know treat it more like an actual company and not a side project because right now it's like a side project that just happens to take my entire time <laughs> but that's kind of how it's being treated right now it's a full-time side project but but i think there is going to be a point where it turns it into we go from okay i have this product and turning it more into now i have this business and how do i build yeah. this business cool can't wait to follow along yeah so that's probably enough about me how about you chris what are you working on tables turned i am working on a SaaS product called PipeTech Project. PipeTech Project is designed for municipalities and contractors to inspect their underground assets and manage the inspections and the data that comes from that. A very niche industry, huh? I was going to say, so give me an example. What's an underground asset? Yeah, let's, let's back up a little bit. So, <laughs> okay. so cities own assets, right? That, that kind of goes without saying. And assets can range from anything from a park bench to a, uh, a traffic light or a sign to the roads that you drive on and off forgot the pipelines, manholes, and other infrastructure that are under those roads. So that's one that's, you know, until there's a problem, most people don't really think about it, but is a huge concern to municipalities. If they're not keeping that infrastructure, those pipelines, those manholes, sewers really, if they're not keeping that in tip-top shape, not only can that cause big problems for their constituents, it can also cause the EPA to crack down on them. And that's a, a huge concern. I mean, basically add a couple zeros to the, uh, the city budget if, if that happens. So there's a lot of good reasons that they want to keep these, uh, these assets in shape. The only problem is they're buried underground, sometimes hundreds of feet. Yeah. Yeah. And just the way that you describe it. So basically you're, you're talking to virtually every city in, I presume the U S and all the sewers that they own in the U S that seems like that's a pretty big scale of a problem to tackle, to help them, I guess, inspect those, those, those things. There's, There's a lot of pipe out there. There is a lot of pipe out there and we're playing in a small corner of this marketplace. Pretty much every city already has some kind of program to inspect the pipelines. 
And the way they do it, another little known fact I didn't know until I, I joined this industry, is they send robotic camera systems through the pipes. So if you've ever seen a, a truck kind of pulled off to the side or a, a sprinter van type vehicle pulled off uh, to the side with kind of over a manhole, they are probably doing an inspection or performing maintenance. To do the inspection, they will send a robotic camera system down the pipe. They're literally driving it like they're in a video game and they're recording everything they see in that, in that pipe. So it's yeah. got like a remote control car with a camera attached to the front and they're driving it through the sewer. It is. It's now it's to be clear, it's tethered. So they do have okay. a, a big cable and, and a big reel attached to the truck. But as far as the remote control part, a lot of times they're even using an Xbox controller to drive this. Thing. Oh, really? Oh, that's false. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're pretty fun to drive. <laughs> so they're driving down the pipe and they're annotating everything they see. It. You know, hey, there's a crack over here or a different problem over there. And they're sending back a video signal. They're sending back some telemetry data. You know, this is where we are in the pipe. This is our pitch and roll. This is our inclination and everything else. And all this data is getting gathered up. And once that data is gathered, this is where we really come in with Pipe Tech Project. It has to go somewhere. And you have to be able to make meaningful decisions on that data in aggregate. You know, where do we focus our resources as a municipality in terms of rehabilitating and repairing these pipes? How do we prevent catastrophic problems from happening in the future. And so Pipe Tech Project is a SaaS software solution that will help cities better allocate their resources toward pipeline repairs. So they have all this pipe and they're in various states of, you know, good condition, bad condition, whatever. And you're helping them to sort through all that, that inspection information in order to figure out what are the real problems, what things can wait, you know, what do we have to address today and really give them actionable information so they can go make repairs if need be. That's right. And then the other part of it, you know, we're, we're in an old school industry, right? So typically these inspections have sat in city hall on a server somewhere collecting dust. So a big part of the way we're helping these cities is by acting as a hub and making all of this data, all these inspection files essentially available anywhere they need it. So interacting with their GIS system, which is represent physical structures, right? So we can interact there. We can interact on a couple different levels with the systems that these folks are using every day by putting it all in the cloud. Typical situation that cities are facing right now is they might have a contractor out in the field who needs to access an inspection in order to see what's directly under their feet. You know, picture somebody mm. doing some construction work and says, well, what's under me? What's what under am I going to get yeah. into? And a lot of times the process for that is that they call the city. The city goes and finds that specific inspection on a, on a server somewhere. They copy it to a thumb drive <laughs> and they drive it out to the guy in the field to see. Yeah. So it sounds so obvious that, hey, you know, there's this whole internet out there. It might be a better way to, to do things. But the fact is, it's, a, it's an industry that has a lot of moving pieces and a lot of traditional ways of doing things. And so trying to change that is, it's a little bit of an uphill battle, but the, the customers that get it, really get it. Yeah, that's great. So you woke up one morning and said, hey, I'm going to build some software 
for sewers and cities and help those guys out. How did you get into this industry and this niche? Because that seems like such a interesting place, the interesting industry to go after. I mean, it's just, how did you get here? <laughs> so I had a dream one night. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, without going too far back, I mean, I've pretty much always been on this entrepreneurial journey, had some successes, many more failures, done the bootstrapped thing, the venture backed thing, even did have a wayward stint in management consulting, but that didn't, didn't last too long. And as I was between projects or between companies, I was talking to my dad and my dad has a lot of experience in this space. He started a company, you know, probably 25 plus years ago that really focused on digitizing all this data. So they were one of the first companies that said, hey, you're sending robots through the pipelines. And at that time, they were then basically had a clipboard and a sheet of paper and they were writing down what they saw. So he knew, okay, there's a better way. He had some software background and started on the inspection side of things. How do we interface with this robot and make better use of the data? So if it hadn't been for that family background, there's no way I would have even known about this industry. So it became kind of a natural fit that I focused a lot on web software, mobile software. And so I said, hey, you know, dad, I, I think I could take it to the next level with these other avenues. So as it is today, my dad still owns a company that does inspection based software. And I have a separate but parallel company that aggregates the inspection data and helps cities understand what to do with it. So we're on different sides of the same problem. But to answer the question directly, yeah, until he got into this, I had no idea that that the world even existed under our feet. Yeah, or that there's even a need for this. I mean, so that's that's super interesting because I think there's so many people out there that they get hung up on like, Oh, I have to be in the latest trend. I mean, especially right now you hear all this stuff about web three and NFTs and it's the, the new hotness. And there is a lot of opportunity out there in, for lack of a better term, these kind of boring industries, but they still have needs when it comes to software. I mean, and big needs. I mean, these are huge problems that you're talking about in helping cities kind of manage all of the sewer lines that they have and figuring it out. So it's it's just interesting how something that people don't even really know about or even think about that much has this huge need for for a software product or many products. Yeah, I mean we're we're really selling it at an enterprise scale. You know, it's not like this is a $19 a month plan sign up uh, self-serve and here you go, right? So it's an enterprise scale. Total addressable market is pretty much any municipality with 10,000 or more people in it. You know, so there are a lot of cities who could potentially be customers. As you said, there's obviously a lot of pipeline out there. And there's a whole other customer bracket that we haven't talked about, which are contractors that do work for cities. So that kind of even expands the market further. But the other thing you hit on that's really fascinating to me, and I've gotten super into lately, is just this idea of seemingly boring businesses that not only could be built into big businesses, which in and of itself is exciting, but which also have really cool technical problems to solve. Right. Yeah. Well, and there's so much industry knowledge that you need to know in order to go into this space, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. And 
just because you're dealing with a, a quote unquote boring subject matter, you know, it's not the new hotness doesn't mean that, like you said, there's not technical challenges that are interesting from the development side and from the software side, because you're dealing with video and all different kinds of stuff. And so there's real challenges there and real excitement, exciting things to build. It just happens to be for, for sewer lines, which not many people are interested in, but that's okay. Yeah. To take one quick step back, just from a exciting, shiny objects space. You know, what I did before going all in on Pipe Tech Project as the SaaS company here was actually a hardware company in the space. And we saw a need for better inspection robot software. And so we dove in and actually built a manhole or confined space inspection robot that used time of flight cameras. I mean, the same stuff you're seeing on Google Earth cars that are driving around, the same stuff that are on you know, Tesla self-driving cars. We, we adapted basically self-driving car tech to a manhole inspection robot that would autonomously drop down a manhole and recreate down to a really millimeter level, a complete picture like a CAD drawing with an overlaid Google Earth. You can look around kind of rendering on top of it. So Pretty high That's tech, cool. pretty fun stuff. That's amazing. So they can almost redo the ex- inspection because you've you've captured everything they need to see, and they can go back and have a historical, full not just notes, not just one guy taking some notes that might have missed something. Like they literally have a full mapping of that that manhole all right there in their in their inspection software. That's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it was it was a really fun project. I will say, I will never do. Hardware again. I was just uh, going to ask. Sam kind of reflect, you know, I, I don't have a whole lot of hair left from that one, but it was a fun project with some really, really cool tech, some great guys. And, and we did end up with a good outcome out of it. That technology has now been acquired and is part of uh, Toro. That's great. So, so that kind of brings me to my next question of how are you funding your current software project? Are you using proceeds from that sale to, to fund this, or are you doing something else? Yeah, this is all bootstrapped at the moment. So, yep, it is basically proceeds from that sale and, and just personal savings that, that I'm using right now to fund this. So you're all in as well. All in and starting to ramp up the burn rate. So yeah, a couple more yeah. of these hairs are going to fall out, I think. <laughs> so what stage is the product in? Well, you described yours as V1 complete. So I guess the best way I would describe Almost V1 complete. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, I I would describe my product as similar, but maybe one step back. We are also almost V1 complete, but almost seems to be expanding daily. So we've got a good base. We have a couple of beta customers using it. And we have a few more municipalities who are signed up and and ready to hop on board. You know, because this industry is so specific, we can't just throw out an MVP and say, hey, it's good enough. You know, I mean, engineers need certain things from this data. There's a lot of infrastructure that we've had to build, you know, on the video hosting side and, and some other things. So... It's been a long process. I mean, we are over a year in on building, but I think we're really close. You know, we have these uh, these customers who are going to be coming on board in the next, I would say, month or so. The other thing I guess to know about my business is that there's a lengthy onboarding process because we have to take all this legacy data 
that is sitting in City Hall and convert it and make sure that it is formatted properly and accessible to all the systems that need to access it. I think that's one of the challenges that you face, as well as one of the strengths of the industry that you're that you're talking about is the fact that these cities, it's not something they can just kind of try out. Like if they're moving to your software, it's it's going to become an integral part of their day-to-day, at least for you know certain people that work for the, for the city. And that's something that they really are committing to. And so there's this huge switch for them to move over to you and this huge change in how they do things. It's a big hurdle to get over. But once you do, you have that same advantage that it's going to be the switching costs for them to move away from you are just as high, if not higher, because you're, you're providing this, this extra functionality that they're, that they're not used to today. So it really is kind of this, this challenge, but also a benefit as you can grow your market share. Yeah, I, I think it can go both ways. And as long as we can deliver on our promises to build better software that makes their lives easier, I'm hoping we can win. These guys, you know, like, like all of us, right? We use software, we interact with software every day. But on the consumer level, a lot of that software is really polished, you know, whether it's Instagram or, or whatever else. That's not the same for niche municipal industries. A lot of the stuff they have out there to use just isn't up to the level of what they go home and sit on the couch and play with after work. So hoping to make their life a little easier too, and that'll help them stick around. Your advantage is trying to bring good user experience, good UX to the software so that it is easier to use for these for these customers? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So can you talk a little bit about what your what your role is in the company and how how many employees you have at this time and just what the company itself looks like? Yeah. So up until relatively recently, it was just me on the business side and a development partner on the dev side. I say partner, I'm 100% owner of the company, but this guy that we started contracting with has really turned into a partner. So that was it. It was the two of us for a while. I was handling everything business and product. He was uh, handling everything development with some product overlap. And recently, in fact, a little foreshadowing to the next couple episodes, we've expanded the team. So hired two more developers and uh, a customer success technician. So that's where we're at right now. When you said you're ramping up the, the burn rates and going all in, that's, that's definitely the state that you're in right now. So you're, you're rolling the dice and, and making a run at it, which is very exciting to watch. Yeah, a little bit of a forcing function. And this, you know, this business really can't get to where it needs to be without a solid team behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same with what I'm seeing on text retailer. And it, it's funny, again, going back to the parallels between our businesses, I, I and, and we're, I think we're going to get into this a little bit more, especially when I come around to my year anniversary of being working on this. It's on one hand, we both kind of approach this with a slow build mentality. You know, we could have gone out, raised money right, right from day one, gotten a team and probably gotten the product out in a much faster timeline than what we've done. It sounds like we're both kind of on that year mark or so. And it was a smaller team, you know, one one developer or so that was building both products. And I think that's just kind of a, the nature of the bootstrapping. And 
one of the questions that I'm going to have for myself was, was that a mistake? Was that the right way to go to kind of do this slow build? Are we hurting ourselves by not getting to market quick enough? But at the same time, I've been very, been able to be very hands-on with these customers and talk to them and kind of see the iteration and slowly get a better vision for the product as it's being built. And I think there's benefits to that too. And frankly, you're not putting as much money at risk. (laughs) Because, you, you, you know, until you're you're more confident that the idea will succeed. So I'm sure that'll be a conversation that we have down the line. But I think that's a great segue into what do you see the future of the company being? Where Where is this going for you? You know, the long-term vision, we'll see. As I've mentioned, there's a, a large market out there. I've got some really exciting things that I can't wait to add in vis-a-vis machine learning and potentially expanding to other asset classes. But short term, I've got a really targeted goal. And that's, you know, I'd like to get us to 50K MRR in order to kind of cross that next hurdle rate and and be able to keep building. So short term, laser focused on that 50K. Longer term, we're going to have some fun with it. And I think that there's a lot of places that I hope we get to go. Yeah, again, I think that that just speaks to the the parallels that we see between the two businesses where uh, you're a little bit more focused, like you actually have a, a monetary goal, but again, you also have that payroll to meet. So that kind of, <laughs> that's, that's easy to be like, oh yeah, we need to hit that money in order to, in order to, to make payroll. So that's, that's a driver. But, but at the same time, I think we're both, we don't really truly know what we have yet. We have a concept, we have a good, good idea of where it can go, but until people start really using it and leveraging the technology and you get that feedback and that real world use, it, it's hard to say where where it can go when all said and done well we're gonna find out so hopefully that gives everybody else out there some context as to what we're going to be talking about week to week basically the cliff notes are sewers and sms <laughs> and a little bit of sass sprinkled in yeah i mean we'll try to cover some of that that latest and greatest sass news that's happening in the industry and you know the uh, twitter is always a great source of hey did you hear this thing and let's talk about this different different idea or this concept so we'll, we'll give our thoughts on what, what we're seeing in the space but for the most part it's peeling back the curtain you get to see how we're building our businesses the challenges that we're facing and and chris and i have both talked about we're, we're trying to be as as open and as transparent as possible it's not all sunshine and roses and rainbows. It, it can be a tough process. And especially when, you know, neither of us really haven't figured out for even though this might be the second or third or fourth company that you've been working on, it's still there. You just you're just kind of shooting from the hip a lot of the times and trying to make it a little bit more professional, a little bit more, you know, a little bit more planned out. But at the same time, it's just that day to day just creeps up on you. And so we'll try to give you as much insight as we can into what we're facing. And hopefully it's hopefully it's interesting and you guys keep coming back. Yeah, come join us. We have a website up at sasslife. That's S-A-A-S-Life.fm. You can also say hi to either of us on Twitter. I am at C McAleenan. And I am at Sam Shrupp, I believe. <laughs> I'm so active. I'm so we'll verify active. that and you can we'll, hit up Sass Life. We'll to put find it in the out. show notes. <laughs> so <laughs> All right. Well, thanks uh, for listening to the first episode. We hope that you guys stick around and we look forward to continuing this journey together. Take care. Thanks.